Up in the night, your heart fills with dread Probably a murderer who wants you dead It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse It's hopeless, you're doomed, you'd call a priest if you could You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood I'm gonna kill you Well, hello and welcome to Freaky Friday Where we tell your odd but true stories It's a beautiful day for all of us This Friday, September 8th, 2023 September 8th, 2023 a day that we'll all remember because we're here together. And you're listening to it. Whatever time you're listening to it, you're listening to it on the 8th or you're listening to it five years from now. Who knows? Damn. What stories. I love when we get messages from the, the future, which really for us is now the present. But in the past, we said in like 2019, mostly ignorantly, like 2020 is going to be a great year. Text us in 2020. Mm. Yeah, well. <laughs> Got some unfortunate news for you both. <laughs> But we'll be right this time. It's a great day today. It's a great day today. Oh, man. Fingers crossed we didn't just curse ourselves. <laughs> it's a fantastic day. It's a fantastic day for some freaky stories. You have some freaky, you have quite a freaky lineup today. I feel like we run the gamut between crime and mystery and intuition today. It's mm-hmm. all the things we asked for with Freaky Friday, and y'all have delivered. As always, you all have delivered. And I've saved uh, the very last story was has been submitted in a very interesting and new fashion that I'm very excited about. We'll get to it. I'm excited too. I specifically saved it for last and gave it to Heather because when I read the stories, I'm like, whose voice do I hear this more in? And also the order of things. Like I've told Heather off air, just like at the end of a haunted house, when you got to go through the foam room, To kind of level you out before you're released into the wild. I like to, if possible, end on a lighter note, perhaps. (laughs) Now, it's also, it's not always possible. And that's not to say if your story goes last that it's like not spooky or freaky. That's not, some of them we get are funny, you know, or like a little different. Yeah. They're spooky and wacky or spooky and wacky, yeah. Serious or whatever. No, I do appreciate the thought and time and effort you put into. Uh, coordinating this lineup of stories for us. So thank you very much. And I do love the foam room analogy, and I hope the listeners do too. <laughs> so on behalf of them and myself, because we're, we're experiencing it together emotionally. So we need the foam room. So we hope they love the foam room too. Gotta so, have the phone room. Even y'all. though the phone room is so gross. And oh, yeah. when you get out, you're like, why am I covered in wet foam now? And it's, I did my hair and makeup. And it's also like kind of cold outside because right. it's fall. Yeah, and I'm now imagining. we're covered in foam, but we're not scared anymore. Uh, yeah, I was imagining the state fair too. It's a chill in the air. I'm mm-hmm. running through. I get out of this, and then I immediately go get a corny dog, and it's like 70 degrees. That's what I'm willing. Yep. I'm willing it. The fall. I hope it's falling oh, on man. you all. Oh yes. If you're anywhere where it's fall right now, just go outside. And just give a big old sniff. Oh, I'm feeling it with you. I love that first brisk. You feel it in the air. You're like, I felt it. It's here. We have yet to experience it, but it'll come. It's coming. It'll come. (laughs) Calling it to us. I'm calling it. It'll be about another month, but it'll come. 
Woo! It'll happen though. But if it's <laughs> happening for you, uh, well, I think we're we're shifting into spooky season now. I feel like it hasn't. I googled when does fall start, and the internet was like September twenty first, and I was like, no, no, um, <clears throat> Labor Day. You meant the day after Labor Day. Actually, <laughs> yeah. Google, you are incorrect. It's now, and I've shifted into it. We're all doing it together. Let's shift in. Falls the season, but it's also state of mind. That's right. And that nobody can tell you when starts and stops. Hell yeah. Yeah. So as we shift into this story's lineup, you we have a brush with true crime that we're starting off with. Less spooky mm-hmm. and more real life horrors that someone has sent in for us. Absolutely. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get freaky. This first one is from Anonymous and it is called All American Gun Violence. Heather Christie, I wanted to share with you one of my most difficult experiences as a public high school teacher. I worked in an underfunded school district in a poverty-stricken town in southeast Arkansas for three years. It's the type of school where every student receives free lunch. The administrators think strong-arming and over-policing the students will improve behavior, and teachers are constantly afraid of being written up, i.e. an awful learning environment for students and teachers. I'm so thankful to be in a position that I got to leave the district and move away. However, what breaks my heart are the teachers and students who cannot get out. One student in particular never got to leave, and I'll call her A. She was a senior at my high school and was barely 18 when she was shot and killed alongside her cousin, a 16-year-old boy, J, who attended the only other public high school in the city. They were sitting in a car in my apartment complex with their mother slash aunt, when one of three 20-somethings present shot into the car with an assault rifle. The rumors around school said the rifle was stolen, but I can't find that information online. I heard the gunfire from my apartment. It was beyond loud. There was a series of shots, a pause, and then more shots. My brain told me it was a car backfiring, an immensely powerful coping mechanism as I've never heard a car legitimately backfire. Even still, I stayed away from my window and was only brave enough to peek out many minutes later when I saw blue lights coming through the blinds. Police tape was up, blocking my car in the parking lot, and an officer was running through the grass outside, gun raised. I don't know how I slept that night, but I woke up the next day to my mom asking me the name of my apartment complex, and that's when I officially knew something awful had happened. It had been on the news, and once I googled the situation, I discovered the name of the senior from my school who had been murdered. A had never been in my class, but with fewer than 200 students at my school, I recognized her name immediately. On my way to school that morning, I had to drive over the fallen yellow police tape, which was left as litter in the street for days. Administration at my school may have had many faults, but their response to A's murder was not one of them. They brought in counselors with designated times to see students as well as teachers. We released balloons. We had open and honest conversations about our feelings in the wake of the tragedy. Many students knew both of the teenagers, even though Jay went to the other high school. And I am so grateful for the school's response to the tragedy. No one was left without someone to talk to. The continued tragedy is violence on our young people, on and off campus, and the continued inaction of lawmakers. No amount of metal detectors, clear backpacks, background checks, or thoughts and prayers could have prevented this. The life of a beautiful, smart, kind, shy singer and softball player 
was lost so that Americans may have the unquestionable right to a gun. This gun most likely did not belong to the young men who killed two people. This violence was not committed behind a security checkpoint. This murder was senseless, and I believe it stemmed from a poverty-afflicted culture and the all-American belief that guns are more valuable than young life. I hope that their family finds peace, and I hope even more that one of these days, one of these heinous murders will be the last straw for Americans. It is devastating that A's and J's were not that final straw. But I have to believe that one day, the weight of every life lost will be enough to make a radical change. Oh, anonymous. That's, it's hard to lose a student at a school in general, but a small school of only 200, that's yeah. impactful on all the, the students, the faculty. I'm glad they at least had a response, but. Yeah, it's more than right. 200 in just my graduating class. So that's a pretty small amount of people oh, yeah. to have at a high school. So I'm sure all students and teachers would recognize her name. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And just the, that idea of when, when is enough enough? And the yeah. question is, I think getting there because young people, the, the 198 other, the 199 other students are going to remember this as well. And I think younger people were seeing the response to the UNC recent mass shooting, like the, response has become gal more galvanized. Younger people, I think, are being more galvanized just based on sheer exposure. When you're exposed to going to school and even when you're not even at school, going home and being under threat of the number one cause of death for young people is gun violence. It makes you say, well, so who's doing what about it? And when the adults go, oh, nothing, we won't be doing anything. In fact, we'll be making it easier to get guns. The young people go, oh, <clears throat> no, I'm just going to run. Fuck you. And that's what's mm -hmm. happening, I think. And, and we're seeing younger people. And you can't say you can't really judge their response to it. If you didn't grow up in active shooter drills under that constant threat as a young person, especially in communities that are more impoverished, exactly what Anonymous said, like and mm -hmm. being exposed to that out in the parking lots too, something's got to give. And I think we're going to see young people feel pretty fed up and start making changes. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think there's going to be a mass shooting incident or a gun violence final straw that does it for the lawmakers. What's going to happen is like what you just said. Now this generation is running for office and they're tired of being fucked over and yeah. having their friends killed and being shot at. So when no one else is going to do it for you, uh, once you become of age to do it for yourself, then mm -hmm. that's what's going to happen. And I, for one, can't wait to support that movement. Absolutely. If you say, why are these kids so radicalized? Be like, they grew up in under a radical amount of violence. So mm -hmm. you, we did it to them by inaction these many years. We've radicalized the younger generation. And so now I think it's we absolutely are uh, have to deal with the consequences of that, which is going to be, I think, a lot more radical, stronger laws that are rooted in a person who's like, well, I was in one mass shooting in kindergarten and then another one in college. And I thought that was pretty, I was bullshit. Said someone yeah. should do something about it. So it's like I said, you, you radicalized them, the lawmakers and the generations administration. before administration's not doing anything to stop it. And it's like, mm, I think whatever they say we should do, that's what we should do. Cause they grew up in it, facing it every day. It's weird. Cause the nineties is like, you know, the whole, joke is, well, the 90s were loose, you know, and if you grew up in the 90s and you're like, yeah, I was just running around the streets after school. Nobody knew where I was until, you know, dinner. And then I came home and that's like, ha ha, everybody was so loose. And then this generation, it's like, oh, yeah, they grew up uh, just constantly worried that a 
shooter was going to come to their high school or elementary school or mm-hmm. college and do something. And like, that wasn't ever a thing that I worried about. In fact, it was the opposite. Everyone was so loose and, you know, there, it, there weren't enough laws. And now we're seeing, well, those lack of laws uh, eventually catches up with you in horrible and heinous ways. And now those people are, like you said, well, if you're not going to do anything, fuck you. I'll do it myself. The youths are coming for all of us. Because I, I was right. I remember Columbine happened in 99 and then I was 2005. So I was right at the edge of that where it happened. But, oh, but it won't happen at our school. Mm-hmm. But it, but it's so unlikely. And then I just missed graduating before they start doing active shooter drills all the way up through the grades. Mm-hmm. So if you don't think that does something to a six-year-old being taught about that, I would disagree. And I think we're now seeing they have grown to the age where they're like, ah, no, you guys. Fu-. And that's why there's this nihilism, this growing nihilism, absurdity. The Gen Z kind of laughs at it. And it's like, well, I've literally faced death every day since I was six. So I'm not afraid of you. And I'm like, oh, Cool, Captain, whatever, Gen Z, I'm in. I, I'm sorry we fucked up, but I am I got your back. Have you seen that commer- that back-to-school commercial, back-to-school supplies commercial? Uh, is it about a backpack that's a... Um, it's about, it is very, very well done, and we can link it in the show notes. It is a hard watch, but it should be. But it's basically like, um, I got a skateboard, so in case a shooter comes in, I can hide by the door. And, like, somebody's like, I have my number two pencil. And, like, it devolves into, um, uh. like, what I need in my backpack is, like, gauze. So, and they're wrapping up their friend. But it's yeah, it's pretty graphic, but it's very uh, effective. And mm-hmm. the reality that people don't want, they're like, I can't watch that. That's so upsetting. Fuck off, watch it, because guess what? You're not the one there experiencing it. Your kids are, and they don't the have the are. option to turn off the TV because yeah. they're living it. Every day and have been for since, yeah, about 2005, yeah, to 99 even. So. I graduated in 97. I never had a active shooter drill. I can remember maybe a couple of times having a high school event where metal detectors were even present. Mm-hmm. That wasn't even really a thing. Yeah, I'd, I was already in college when Columbine happened, and I just remember being like, oh, my God, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. This is awful. Mm-hmm. Surely something will be done. And that was in 1999. Yeah. No, exactly. That's like the demarcation for a lot of us being that mm-hmm. this age. I think that we remember it going, well, that happened, but I mean, it wasn't at our school. And man, those poor parents. But and that would never happen at any other school. It never happened here. And then it, we've seen, Hundreds of times since then. We've been proven happened. wrong. Yeah. Hundreds of times this year. <laughs> this month, yeah. probably. Yeah. It's, it's, um, so anyway, all I'm saying is it's not really political. I'm just like, you've all done it to yourself. Gen Z is about to take over. And like I said, I'm I'm with them. Guess what? Death waits for no one. And all these old ass white men, you don't live forever, no matter how much money and power you may have. So I'll upload my consciousness to the cloud. <laughs> cool. Then we can just turn you off. It'll be great. Yeah, please do that. That'd be great. We'll just Good, then we'll the hard move drive. to the moon because uh, literally we will do anything to not be under your regime anymore. <laughs> Wipe the hard drive. Indeed. Wipe it. Well, thank you so much anonymous for sharing that. Unfortunately, the amount of submissions we get of mass shooting firsthand experiences is staggering. And if that, I mean, and that's, you know, that's just like the people that listen to us in one out of every 
you know, five people that listens to us may have a story like this Mm -hmm. of being, yeah. Confronting that situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sinisterhood will be right back. Well, this next one is from Ashley. It is called Friday the 13th gut feeling slash stop telling me to calm down. And a content warning. This story involves childbirth trauma. First, let me start off by saying thank you. I found your podcast in 2020 after the birth of my first child in the beginning of COVID. I know you hear it a lot, but you both really helped me get through the thick of postpartum. And I can't thank you for your podcast enough. My journey to motherhood hadn't been easy. Both of my kids were wishes I was told would never come true. My pregnancy with my first, Jack, was a little rocky. He almost tried to come while I was photographing a wedding at 34 weeks pregnant and three plus hours away from home. He eventually came via C-section in February 2020, and all was well. This story actually involves the birth of my daughter, Millie, this past January. My pregnancy with her was really, really rough. It started with hypermesis gravidurum, severe morning sickness, basically. Then I had not one, not two, but four degenerating uterine fibroids. I was in an extreme amount of pain daily. With all of that going on, around 26 weeks, I was diagnosed with gestational diabetes, something I didn't have with my first. My brain just kept going, what the fuck, after every doctor's appointment. It felt like everything was going wrong. Around 35 weeks, I started to get a bad feeling I couldn't shake. I was convinced I wasn't going to make it out of her birth alive. Everyone told me I was just having some anxiety because my pregnancy had been so tough. The day before my 37-week appointment, my hands and feet started itching. Normally, I would have thought I had to put on lotion and move on with my life, but I felt like it was something I had to tell my doctor. I couldn't get it out of my brain. So the next day I told her, and she said she was concerned about cholestasis, which is apparently not good. With that, the decision was made to have a C-section the next morning, Friday the 13th. I should have felt excited and eager to meet my daughter, right? Instead, I felt uneasy and scared. We got in the car after that appointment, and the first thing I said to my husband was, I'm going to hemorrhage. He tried to assure me all was going to be fine, and I kept telling him that no, all was not going to be fine. Men, am I right? We had to be at the hospital at 4 a.m. the next morning, so we dropped my son off at my parents the night before. I don't know if I've ever cried so hard. It felt like I was seeing him for the last time, and I didn't want to let him go. All I could do was tell him I loved him to the moon and back a million times. Remember, his birth was relatively normal. I was so calm that it freaked my husband out. When we got to the hospital this time, I was anything but. Through tears, I tried to prepare my husband for the worst case scenario. I told him as much as I want our daughter. If it came down to it, please save me. Our son needs his mom. I didn't know how it was going to happen, but I knew sure as shit it was. He again thought I was just uneasy and anxious. Listen, I'm telling you, I'm going to hemorrhage. Something doesn't feel right. Here's where things take a turn. They came in to place the epidural in before my C-section. With my son, I was able to joke through the epidural and most of the C-section itself. It took some time this go-round, and right in the middle of placing it in, I lost all color. Suddenly, I was vomiting nonstop and shaking so badly they struggled to keep me still enough to finish. 
They were very sweet overall, but these bitches kept trying to tell me to calm down. Everything's going to be okay. Name one time that has ever worked. Again, I'm telling them something isn't right. And again, they're saying, I'm just nervous. It felt like I was screaming, but no one could hear me. They wheeled me into the OR, got me situated on the table, and started some meds to help my nerves and nausea. My doctor came in, commented on my lack of color, and promised everything will be just fine. By this time, I felt like I was in and out of it, and not because of the medication. My husband was behind my head telling me everything is going to be okay and that he can't wait to meet our daughter. Everyone was chatting and talking about their weekend plans as the operation began. Suddenly, everything was going so slow and lightning fast at the same time. My blood pressure dropped. My doctor made the first cut. My heart rate got too high. The room fell still. My doctor finally spoke. Page Dr. So-and-so. Actually, page them all. Whoever's closest. Get the blood bank on the line. She looked over the curtain. Your uterus ruptured. They suspected that it was during my epidural that my uterus ruptured. That's why I was shaking and throwing up but didn't feel anything. I had been bleeding into my abdomen the whole time. All of a sudden, I was surrounded by doctors and nurses. More IVs were started. I was getting blood transfer after blood transfer. All while, they rushed to get my daughter out. I was bleeding out fast. At one point, I was lucid enough to try and lift my head to get off the table. I wanted to get to my son, and when they told me to stay still and try to breathe, I asked them to sedate me. They couldn't, so I just laid there, arms strapped down, alarms going off, thinking about how I was leaving my son without a mother and my sweet husband without his wife and daughter. The only thing I could do was listen to it happen. My husband held my head and whispered he loved me over and over again until eventually I blacked out. They were able to get my daughter out. She cried for a split second and then they rushed her to the NICU. I was losing blood faster than they could keep up with and eventually they just pushed my husband out of the way and into a corner. It took about two hours to stabilize and stitch me up. I had lost two and a half liters of blood. and Even though they were trying to clean as they went, it was everywhere. To this day, my husband still has a hard time processing it. Once I started coming to, my doctor, who I should mention was 38, 39 weeks pregnant herself, looked over the curtain and told us the truth. We were seconds away from worst case scenario. We're very lucky it happened when it did. Sure, we were lucky, but would it have been as bad if someone had just listened to me before? As they were wheeling me out of the OR and into recovery, I heard some of the nurses talking. I'm never working on Friday the 13th ever again. I was able to see my daughter around 10.30 p.m. that night. She rapidly improved in the NICU over the course of that evening and was able to join us in our room the next day. And the cholestasis that my doctor was concerned about? Turns out, I didn't have it. My brain sometimes wonders what would have happened if I hadn't mentioned my hands and feet were itchy. We wouldn't have been at the hospital that next morning. They wouldn't have started the epidural and C-section just in time. So much would have been different, and my daughter and I wouldn't be here. I fully believe my gut was trying to tell me something. It wanted me to say my hands and feet were itchy. It was telling me something wasn't right. And listening to that intuition saved my life and my daughter's life. She's four months old now and the happiest and healthiest baby. Her big brother is as smitten as we are. Thank you for taking the time to read this. 
Thank you for all you do. And thank you for just being you guys, our friends on the other side of the speakers. Keep it creepy and always trust your gut. Ashley. P.S. Also, thank you for the cameo pep talk. I was struggling with the fear of hemorrhaging again when my husband contacted you guys. It helped to have a little bit of positive energy from my favorite hosts. P.S.S. I've attached a picture of me holding my daughter for the first time in the NICU. As I mentioned, her name is Millie James, and she's absolutely perfect. Oh, Ashley. Well, congrats on Millie James, but what a... That has got to be a feeling to say, I know what's going to happen and it's worse and have what everybody's trying to do, wishful thinking, no, 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 you're not going to hemorrhage. It'll be okay. But that terror of being in that situation of I know something's wrong and have people say, everything's fine. Just calm down. Just calm down. It's fine. No one listening to you when you know your body better than anyone. You've been carrying that baby inside of you for 37 weeks and you have a previous pregnancy in your own body that you can compare it to right like it's not your first time going well maybe i am just having a weird feeling it's like no i know every pregnancy is different but because of that this is a different different Mm -hmm. i imagine god i had the uh itchy hands too at around that time and my midwife was also concerned about cholestasis it's uh affects your liver and it can be, like she said, very not good. So often, and it happens in the later trimester. So they will often say, we got to do a C-section around 37 weeks. It ha- It's like an itchy hands and it's usually the palms of your hands and the soles of your feet and it's itchy, but no rash. Yeah. It's just like un- almost like under the skin, like when it starts. Yeah. Like it's that. just like an uncontrollable itch. Sometimes Oy. it's your whole body and like you can't sleep, but like my hands and it wasn't that mine was actually an allergic reaction to something, oh, but wow. it coincided with the time where that could have been a concern. So we just had to make sure. But like she said, if, it wasn't for that concern. She wouldn't have gone into the hospital at all and been there when that happened. I mean, if you're at home and that happens, it was a close call even being in the hospital. So yeah, two and a half liters of blood Ooh. that she lost. Losing that outside of a hospital setting is probably devastating. Yeah. I'm not a doctor, but one liter seems like a lot. Two and a half, that's bigger than a two liter of Dr. Pepper. That's so much blood to lose. That's a lot. That's a and lot when you compare it like that. When you think of just that, yeah, no, you want sure. that in you. And no wonder she was mm-hmm. turning so pale. And though to be saying like, no, I feel sick. I'm pale. Hey, anyway, what do you do? Come take the boat out this weekend. Think I'm going to take the boat. <laughs> but it's true because everybody is just, you know, you're there. It's, that's actually a good thing. I think when you go into surgery that everyone is relaxed because you don't want it to be like, oh, this is a big one. I better not mess it up. And you're like, hey, doc, how you feeling up there? But for, you know, for everybody to be loose, but I bet it makes it feel that much more terrifying when you're literally the only one that seems concerned. And it's one thing to main, remain calm and, you know, keep uh, everybody's heads cool, but you can still listen to women or listen to your patient or whoever it is to make them feel heard. And that you're, you, you, maybe you're wrong. Maybe there is something going on. What does it hurt to, to check it out? Mm -hmm. Because so many times, especially with women and doctors, you see them time and time again and tell them something's wrong. And they're just like, yeah, I don't know. And you're like, okay, right. well, sure, great. And you know, you're just not believed. And then she knew. I mean, right. you you just you know your body. And if they weren't gonna listen to you, you're something, I'm the universe, you're... your gut, something was like, 
manifested in a physical way that you would have like a reason, a, a reason to go in for them to check you out. And it's not just like, I feel like something's wrong. It's like, here's a symptom. Maybe right? now we can get to where we needed to be. That's such a good way, a point because I think there's statistically, I want to say it's women are less believed by doctors and then women of color are even less believed, oh, yeah. particularly black women. And there are these preconceived notions of like, oh, they can handle a lot or like, oh, they're just complaining. So being able to have a doctor that will listen in those situations is so valuable. And it's, oh, yes. it sucks whenever you're like, oh, I think I'm dying. And they're like, could you just calm down? Come on, man. They're like, yeah, that's what it's like. It's just like having a baby. You're like, no, I had a baby no, and I didn't feel like this. This yeah. something does not feel good or, or right. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's childbirth alone is terrifying. And then if you're that. already so worried about something happening and, you know, and then it does happen, that's very mm -hmm. traumatic. And to that and to anybody, but to Ashley and anyone that's ex had like severe childbirth trauma, that mm -hmm. is a huge trauma that oh, yeah. you have gone through and yeah. you know there's absolutely reason to seek out therapy once you've undergone something like that and like she said it's her husband's have even a hard time coming to terms with it like that's very traumatic for your partner to see as well so all that to say therapy is uh, yeah. we always recommend it but in situations like this i think it can really help your journey to heal. Well, especially if you're going in expected, like a new life is, we're mm -hmm. going to create a new life together and you have to have conversations of, hey, if I don't make it, what your life is going to look like without me, that's two extremes of emotions and mm -hmm. extreme once in a lifetime kind of feeling. So yeah, y'all made it through Ashley and like Christy said, take care of yourselves and give old Millie James a kiss from both of us. What a cutie. The picture of you both is precious. Uh, just, you can see the love and relief yeah, of you sure. holding that sweet little babe. So, yes, congrats. I'm glad that it all, that both of you ended up uh, healthy and safe. Sinisterhood will be right back. Well, this next one is from Shana. And if you listen to our bonus content on Patreon, Heather often doesn't say the titles of things we read because it kind of gives it away. So, Shana, I'm going to take some creative liberty and just call this one a premonition. And then at the end, I can tell y'all what she really called it. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, ladies, furry friends, and an extra special hello to McGruff. Hey, I'm not the <laughs> I'm not the greatest at small talk, so let's get into it, I guess. To begin this story, I must tell you that I've been an anxious person since birth. My parents have always considered me an overdramatic, overly neurotic child. Now that I'm in my 30s, I realize that while some of that may be true, I'm also somewhat connected to something bigger, if that makes sense. I'm neurodivergent, having been diagnosed with ADHD and OCD in my adulthood, but I've dealt with both conditions my entire life. When I would have nightmares as a child, my parents would do their best to comfort me when I woke up. I would have the occasional nightmare when I was small. The dreams were rarely reoccurring. They were usually random, separate events that I would forget about a day or two after the fact. This all changed when I was around six years old. I started having vivid dreams of a house fire. As a child that young, I thought I was dreaming about my house catching on fire. First nightmare like this that I had, I was obviously shaken up, but relatively unscathed the following day. That is until I went to sleep that next night. I had the same dream again. I started having the same nightmare consistently 
for the next six months. I was scared to the point that fire safety became a huge focus for me. I made my parents sit down with me and create an evacuation plan for our home. My room was on the second floor of our house, where my parents slept on the ground floor. I remember having them place one of the fire safety stickers that tells firefighters there is a child inside on the second story window of my room. This is important later. Side note, these were super popular in the 90s. I don't know if y'all know what I'm talking about, so I've attached a picture. I was only about six years old, but as a 32-year-old woman, I still remember this time like it was yesterday. Then, just as suddenly as the nightmares started, they were gone. I had the same nightmare several nights a week for six months, and then poof, nothing. As a kid, I was so relieved to no longer have to fear going to sleep. It took quite a while to feel comfortable in my room again, but I took some comfort in our family, having taken the time to create an evacuation plan. I went back to being a, quote, normal kid with the occasional nightmare, and it seemed like that was that. My parents were honestly just trying their best, and it was the 90s, so I can't fault them too heavily for not having me checked out. Now we fast forward a bit. I met my husband in daycare. We are three months apart in age. I'm older. I have pictures of us together at my fifth birthday party. Shout out to Discovery Zone. No wonder I'm terrified of germs. That ball pit? Nasty. We were friends for about a year while we were in the same daycare class but neither of us remember that time. We re-met in middle school and have been best friends since eighth grade. We started dating right after high school and have currently been married for almost 11 years with one child of our own. He is my absolute best friend. He knows me better than anyone on the planet and vice versa. We're the most kick-ass team I could have ever asked for, but we're not here for me to gush about my man, even though he deserves it. So you remember how I first met my husband when I was five years old and neither of us really remember it? My husband's childhood home caught fire and burned to the ground when he was six years old. Thankfully, no one was in the home at the time because he had two brothers who were both under five. It happened in the middle of a work school day, so everyone was out. This saved their lives, but it also meant that the fire went unattended for quite a while before emergency services got there. The fire investigators said it was a fluke electrical problem. The fire took the entire house down to the foundation, and my husband's family had to rebuild. The fire at my husband's house happened around the same time as my nightmares. I'm assuming that once the fire was over, that's when my dream stopped. I get goosebumps every time I think about this story, because whatever is out there warned me about this huge, life-changing event that was going to happen to my future partner who I wouldn't fully encounter again for another 10 years. The biggest kicker? In my nightmares, I remember seeing the child inside sticker when the fire was raging, and that's why I had my parents put one on my window. My husband's childhood room had one of those stickers on the outside, and the firefighters checked their room first. I've had many other premonitions in my lifetime, and now that I'm older, I'm getting better at deciphering what they mean and when they happen. Most of my friends and family don't know this about me, because how would you even approach that topic? Hi, I had a dream that you were pregnant and the baby's a girl. Okay, cool. What's for lunch? I knew you ladies wouldn't judge me or think I'm, quote, out there, so I appreciate the safe space here. Now I can mainly plan for when these premonitions might happen, because I dream most vividly during the full moon. Isn't that weird? 
Anyway, thank you so much for the time and effort you put into this podcast. You ladies are so knowledgeable, kind, and considerate of how sensitive true crime topics can be. I listen to y'all while I'm working. Now I'm a small business owner, and I can take a day or two off if I have a wild nightmare. As an artist, I use the moon and lunar imagery in almost every piece of work I create. Thank y'all for appreciating her like I do. I hope to see y'all in the colony there in 50 years. (laughs) Keep it creepy, Shana. Oh, Shana, that's wild. The image of the sticker and the Mm -hmm. fire happening the same time. I think y'all are cosmically linked. I mean, it already sounds like they're like twin flame souls. You know, anyway, like having those connections all throughout their lives and then ending up together at the Mm -hmm. end. I love that. I love it so much. The sticker, if you don't know what we're talking about, this one specifically is um, a white sticker. And then in a black outline, it's like a firefighter with the fire hat on you know, rescuing a kid, but we've had these similar ones where you put them on your stickers and it's like, you kind of check off what's inside. Ours was for pets because before we had kids, it was like two dogs, one pig. (laughs) (laughs) We were like, if we're not here, we can know that these, the, you know, pedals in the back and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, honestly, she probably started the fire and she's already bailed. So she's good. But it's like we, the great Dallas fire. It's like the Chicago <laughs> fire. Pedal kicked the lantern over and the whole city burned down. Instead of a cow, it's a pig. It was a pig. Uh, yeah, that's wild. We had, we, and stickers. now this makes me think we got to get some more of those because it, they got to the room first. Firefighters mm-hmm. do look for that stuff. And especially if you're not home and you have pets, you know, or you're sleeping and they mm-hmm. need to know like which room is the kid's room. Put those stickers on. That's wild. Though. Yeah. It's like, I wonder why you were having the dream because it wasn't as if she was able to prevent it from but him. just maybe it was like an energy feeling. Yeah. Like you're almost like when twins know their other twin got yeah. hurt and they're not together. It's like, you know, he's going through something and you're not together. <gasps> yeah. And it's like, you're having this like experience cause he's experiencing it or about to experience it. But yeah, when you're six, you have a vision. You don't know how to like go and be like, I'm going to contact this family and protect their house. You're six. Like what? mom and dad, can we get a ladder for my room? <laughs> like, I love that though, that you took it seriously and that your parents took it seriously. I, love these I remember we had a fire evacuation plan because my room was also in the second floor of our house. I think all the bedrooms were. So we had, you know, a plan. I don't remember having a ladder, but we had kind we had a deck with a staircase that went down to the backyard. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's how we were getting out. Were like, Hopefully that on wasn't on fire. <laughs> Or or we jump and hope for the best. Yeah, hope for the best. They came to the school. Did they come to your school with that, um, uh, like a mobile home that was rigged up. So they put you in it and then they make it feel like you're in a fire and like they make the handle hot and they have a window and you have to like go out the window down a rope ladder. I it's didn't like get a horror, to do that. It's like a haunted house or like, you know, like a fun house, but it's a training exercise for the youths. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like scared straight, but yeah. But it's not boot camp and you're not in prison. You're in a house fire. 
Yeah, it was in our um, parking lot. They pulled this mobile home and we had to go up onto a second story room. And they, of course, wow. everything's like a tiny home. And the door closes and then they pump what I'm assuming is a fog machine, but it seemed like smoke coming out under the door. And then you go and try the handle and the handle's all hot. <gasps> so then there was a rope ladder and you had to take the rope ladder and then t- like hook it out the window. And then I had to climb down out, out of it. And I remember getting home that day and being like, they did fire safety training at school, mom. We got to prep for it. And if the house catches on fire we need a rope ladder and she was like we have a one-story house <laughs> she was like if a fire comes jump out the window it's like six inches off the ground you'll be fine if you if it if the doorknob's hot run the other way yeah there's a window in your room you're fine but i was like they made us jump out a window at school it's like that's fun because again it was the 90s and that's what they would bring a roving flame house i mean it was good it was good training yeah Got us. The idea, I think, is that you get into that adrenaline scenario with people around you to coach you. And they were very, oh, we loved sure. it. It was like our favorite day. We were stoked well, about it. Well, the only way to learn about that is to simulate it. Because right? if you're learning when it's for real happening, that's probably too late. It's so it's always late. good to be prepared. I do remember like stop, drop, roll. I mean, that's uh, to this day, I'm like hot air rises because you're supposed to drop mm-hmm. when there's a fire so you can get the cool air on the ground. But I don't remember getting to pretend like I was in a house fire. I, I feel like I kind of missed out on a childhood <laughs> milestone, quite honestly. <laughs> I mean, maybe it happened and I wasn't there. Or I don't remember, but I don't think so. I do remember dare okay. in middle school, like people coming to the classroom talking well, about they were always had randos running to our house yo-yoers they had nerds guys dress up like nerds telling you not to do drugs and they were nerds. comedians they were like comedians that dressed up like really in like uh their pants were pulled all the way up they had suspenders on pocket protector their hair was goofy they had like super thick glasses with like tape in the middle and they would like always be like hey guys we're the nerds we're here to tell you not to do drugs and now that Isn't i think that about it counterintuitive <laughs> to what the message is you're trying well, to spread like, well, wait a minute nobody wants to listen to nerds you're supposed to get the cool kids to tell you not to do drugs if anybody else had the nerds come to their school will you reach out because <laughs> i feel like it's a fever dream and i might be remembering i feel like john mulaney scared straight there was a whole thing that they taught us but i don't remember it as well as i wish i could of what their shtick was but i think it was don't do drugs and they were Dang. dressed like these nerds and would run around tommy might know if he was in like the mesquite garland you. box springs isds back then because it, <laughs> it might have been just like local comedians now that i think about it maybe it wasn't nationwide <laughs> it was just my schools. i wonder why they chose like the stereotypical nerd to spread that message yeah like you said it was bad branding in retrospect <laughs> Or I'm missing a big puzzle piece. That's what I'm saying. If you know the nerds, please reach out. Was that out. what Sinister- they called themselves? Was the I nerds? can't remember. Or the geeks or something. Sinisterhood.com geek slash squad contact. Before it was geek please. squad. <laughs> it was the geek squad. They were like, uh, don't What if drugs. nerd was an acronym like DARE? I bet it Never, was. Never, ever something drugs. Recreationally Never, used drugs. Never, ever. Nope. I think recreationally used is what, just shove it in there really quick. Never ever recreationally used drugs. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Welcome to the nerd program. Well, yeah, please. So I know that I know every time recreational drugs, Drugs. every time only recreational. If you do it because you need it, it's okay. (laughs) Uh, But I do, I will say I, I agree on this, not agree, agree, but I, relate on this dream stuff because there are times when I dream something that's like, I told you sometimes my dreams are just boring and then futuristic-y, but some of them are boring and 
regular timeline. And then that stuff will happen six months, a year, three years later. And I only usually remember it because when I wake up in the morning and I journal, I often will write down like, I had a weird dream that so-and-so called me. That's weird. I haven't heard from him. And then like three months later, they'll call me or even three days later or three weeks. It's just weird sometimes that Mm -hmm. stuff comes up and then it's like an exact replica. Not just that they called me, but they called me and specifically asked me something like, why would they call and ask about carrots? But they do. And I'm like, oh, that's why I dreamt that. Oh, that's weird. It's not useful premonitions. It's just stuff, I think. But it's it's fun to put it together later. Yeah, for sure. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Everything's happening at the same time, some say. And thank you, Shayna. Y'all are all happening all at once. Uh, they, they ended up together. I love that. I, I love like that. That is to be. You guys deserve a some kind of a Hallmark move. No, we're not even Hallmark. Let's go to the big screen. Big screen. You deserve. Movie, movie. Yeah, like so we need to get like Tom the Hanks rom-com. and uh, Meg Ryan back together. Where have they yes. been? Do do this kind of story. Well, that's the dream, and they can call it. I had a premonition for a house fire at my husband's childhood home before we knew each other. The yes, Shana and husband story. <laughs> oh, thank the, you. That was her subject line. That was. But I was like, I think it hits harder if no one knows that going yes. into it. So, Well, thank you, Shana. Yes, thank you. Sinisterhood, we'll be right back. Well, this next one's from Karen Parker, and the subject line is Freaky Friday Tale of Divine Intervention and Protection. Hi, gals. I'm a homie who lives in Fort Worth. Love this community you've created. I've been with you since the beginning. Here's my story. It's about having a guardian angel. I'm 68 now, so when I grew up, all kids were free range. We walked or rode our bikes everywhere, both with friends or alone. I was walking home from playing with a friend of mine. We were Girl Scouts together since the third grade. I was now 10. She lived across the street from our elementary school, and I cut through the grounds as a shortcut. As I approached the school, I saw a man on the porch of one of the building's wings. It was slightly elevated. It took five steps to reach the top. The doors of the hallway opened to that porch, and they had windows. The man was peering in and knocking on the door as if he was trying to get someone's attention. It was a Saturday, but it was feasible that a janitor or even a teacher could be inside. I was a friendly, curious child who was not shy. I naturally gravitated toward the porch to see who the man was trying to get the attention of. I was halfway to the steps when a very definitive male voice in my head said, there is nobody in there, run. I was startled, but I followed his instruction immediately. The school consisted of a main building that had two or three wings with asphalt playgrounds for recess in between. This was bordered by five or six separate classrooms and double-wide trailers. The adults referred to these as temporary buildings. We kids referred to them as the shacks. Ha! Just a funny little side anecdote about how children do not feel the need to put a spin on anything. I took off running behind the shacks. At the end, I'd veered off to the left and run down a large grassy hill which ended at the entrance to my block. As I ran behind the shacks, I looked to my left to see the playground that showed through the spaces between the buildings. To my horror, I saw the man running parallel to me along the front of those classrooms. When I got to the last shack, I saw him stop in one of the recessed playgrounds. He was taking off his pants. I didn't even know about sex yet, but obviously this was not good. Fortunately, by then, I'd reached the point where I turned and flew down the grassy hill. Thank God he did not follow me. I think taking off his pants took so much time, he knew he wouldn't have a chance to catch me. Also, I was now in a very open area. 
I made it to my street and continued running until I reached home. Surprisingly enough, I did not tell my parents. I think this is actually a common response by many kids, as long as they escape unscathed. They assume they'll be in trouble when they tell. Also, this incident did not leave me with any residual fear for some reason. I think I figured it was a one-off that would never happen again. As the old saying goes, lightning never strikes the same place twice. I knew my parents would never let me go out alone again if I reported this incident, and such a restriction was simply unacceptable to me. Besides, I thought, apparently, I have a guardian angel. Amazing. I had never experienced such obvious divine intervention before, but I simply and naturally accepted this gift. I just added it to my growing body of knowledge about how this realm works. Anything seems possible to a kid because we're completely ignorant when we exit the safe bliss of the womb. I was like, okay, bring it on. Let's figure out this whole manifestation thing. Life is indeed a mystery. My guardian angel has only intervened one other time when I was a young adult living my independent launched life. That's another fun story, but this is all for now. I hope y'all enjoyed it. Love you, Karen Parker. Damn. If a guardian angel is ever going to intervene, that was the perfect time. Right? That's such a perfect time to just clear instruction of, and it's not even, maybe now we hear it more as a gut feeling as we get older, Mm -hmm. but I think Karen's onto something is like, we're so young and you always say the veil is thin when you're younger, that maybe it is some ancestor or, you know, person in your life or spirit or energy being like, turn around and save yourself. And it's knowing it's a kid. I can't just give her like a sign. I got to just give her really clear instructions. (laughs) Run. It's also so creepy to think that that man knew no one was in there and was, mm-hmm. you know, probably doing it to get her to come over and say, are you looking for somebody? Can I help, Can you? I help you with something? Yeah. Right. I agree that I think a lot of times kids don't report stuff like this to their parents or teachers or whoever, because they are worried they're going to get in trouble, yeah. especially if it is like, well, nothing happened, but something did happen. Something that, that stuck with you enough that, decades later you still remember it enough to write in about it Mm -hmm. and that's not to say that you know like if you don't have any fear from it that's great maybe you know some people are like oh that happened but it's just a blip other people it might really affect them so Mm -hmm. don't be afraid if something like this has happened to you and you're like well wasn't really that big of a deal if it bothers you then it's a big deal and, you right. know, talk about it or whatever. But also if you're a kid and something like this happens, don't be afraid to report it. Your right. parents would want to know like this, something like this happened. And if you're worried about being blamed by then, then find an adult that you can trust, like a teacher or something. Because to think of a kid not wanting to tell their parents something scary like this happened because they wouldn't be able to like go out and play with their friends anymore that's sad. Yeah. And that's such kid logic, though, too, right? Where mm-hmm. you're like, oh, well, but he didn't catch me. So it's no big deal. And man, what if they said, you know, I'm running around and I shouldn't be out there and then I'm going to get stuck at home. But I think if it was just a guy looking in the windows, you're like, oh, that's weird. He's probably going to steal some equipment. But when he runs toward you, mm-hmm. or at least in the same direction, that's disturbing. And then the removal of the pants, I think that's all doubt. But yeah, when you're six, you're like, oh, that guy was weird. Huh? But if you have that feeling of, oh, mom and dad are going to yell at me. So mm-hmm. I think we're hopefully get into a new age of like, yeah. you can tell me anything. I'm not going to be mad at you, certainly. But thank God for Karen that she had that voice in her head that's like, that's a trap. 
turn around yeah. and run. Like, yeah. hopefully you don't need it anymore, but it's good to know that you have it. And even if nothing happened to you, right? I mean, you by saying something, you might prevent something from happening to someone else. It's true. Know? So, well, hopefully that guy, uh, he took off running with his pants around his ankles and fell. And I hope he tripped his and shit. fell and then cracked he his- just stayed there forever. <laughs> <laughs> he cracked his shit open and then they drove the fire truck with the fake firehouse over him at the end. <laughs> came to do the presentation. Well, thank you, Karen. Yes, thank you. This next one is from Steph. And the subject line is... The time my parents' work laptops got stolen right out from under my nose. Heather, Christy, you guys, this podcast is seriously the best, and we don't sing your praises enough. Ready? You're amazing. I love your accents. The way that Christy researches the material, the way Heather explains why things happen in her impeccable impressions, the way that Tommy edits it, the way that Paris plays video games. Sorry, Paris. Oh, and the way that Heather says, hell yeah, and y'all's best friendship. I have to because he's my husband. He also makes videos. He does play video games. He does. He makes video. He makes all of our videos. He does a great job. (laughs) But yes, he also does play video games. (laughs) So does Tommy. Uh, True. Yeah. Anyway, she writes, I'm here to tell you about one of my brushes with true crime. Yes, there are a few, including the fact that my parents used to run a prison ministry and befriended someone currently serving life in prison for murder. But that's for a different submission. It was a Saturday morning in October of 2008 and I was sleeping off a night of whatever 20-year-old Steph got into. My mom yelled, Stephanie, from her usual post at the top of the basement stairs. At least it was whenever she needed me. No door knocks on my basement bedroom door, just floor stomps and yelling from the doorway. When I finally woke up, she told me she needed me upstairs because it was a past 11 a.m. She needed to go into the office, and for whatever reason, our dogs couldn't be left alone. She said I could watch the Nebraska game in their room and nap if I wanted. Not sure what difference the venue made, but moms. I dragged myself up the stairs, and before she left the house, my ass crawled into her bed and fell asleep. Surprisingly, I did actually turn on the football game, as this was before I was 21 and didn't really give a shit. Side note, I got into Husker football because the bar I frequented when I turned 21 gave out free jello shots every time the Huskers scored. And this was in our Bo Pelini Big 12 era, so we were winning most of the time. And subsequently, so was I. At life. Back to my nap. My parents had an Olympic queen mattress at the time. It's a size between a queen and a king. And I loved stretching out on it and sleeping. And this time was no different. At one point, I don't know if I was dreaming or dozing, but I remember hearing the game on top of hearing my parents' bedroom door open, my mom say my name, and then the door closed softly again. Now, my parents' doorknob made a distinct sound when it opened, and I opened and closed that door quietly so many times, I knew exactly what it sounded like when the knob was slowly released. I woke up a couple hours later and decided to check the mail. When I walked into the living room, the front door was open but my mom's car wasn't in the driveway. I instantly called my mom's cell phone to see where she'd gone, but she told me that she was just now on her way home. I'd begun to chastise her about the door. We're both ADHD, both diagnosed as adults, and we would poke fun at the other if someone did something spacey. When I told her, she chuckled and said, did I? I even took my meds today. Well, we laughed and she said she'd see me soon, so we hung up. I walked in the kitchen to find something to eat when I noticed the sliding glass door to our deck was open and the cats were out there. A few things here. My house was one story on the downslope of a hill, so there was a walkout basement. 
In the kitchen, we had a deck that overlooked the backyard and a massive silver maple tree. Fun fact, there are no stairs on this deck because my parents were worried it would make it easier for intruders. L-O-L. I called my mom back and said, you left the sliding glass door open too, mom. Are you sure you took your beds? But then she said, I never opened the sliding glass door. Get out of the house. Now. I noped out of there so fucking fast. My mom pulled up real quick after that. She was only a couple blocks away from the house when I called her the second time. And when she pulled into the driveway, she was already on the phone with 911 dispatch reporting a break-in. From here, my usually excellent memory turns hazy. I know the police showed up and took our statements and we went inside, but I honestly don't remember what was said or asked. It was during this time that my mom discovered that her and my dad's work laptops were missing. My dad's wasn't necessarily a big deal, but my mom was an independent tax preparer and she had all of her clients' highly sensitive personal data on that laptop. Part of my memory is probably missing because my friend picked me up shortly after that And we celebrated the Husker win with our other underage friends drinking jungle juice at a Halloween party that we were too cool to dress up for. We never did find out who did it, but my parents had a couple theories. First was how they managed to break in. We were pretty sure they climbed the maple tree out back and got onto the stairless deck. It looked like someone had popped open the sliding glass door with a flathead screwdriver and we're pretty sure they ditched out the front door. Both my parents' laptop bags were kept close to the front door, so that was opportune. Second, we're pretty sure that whoever broke into the house heard the TV on in my parents' room, and when they went to investigate and saw me, they chickened out. Third, the computers were stolen for money. My dad's work laptop that was registered at my dad's work is stolen in Omaha, Nebraska, pinged in North Carolina a few months later when someone turned it on for the first time. The person had purchased it off Craigslist and returned it to my dad's company. They did not have any of the seller's contact information. Lastly, my mom is convinced it was our next-door neighbor, Danny. We'd grown up next door to his family my entire life. His older sister was my oldest brother's age. He and my Irish twin brother were the same age, but Danny got held back a year, so he ended up in my grade, and I would babysit his younger sister for lots of money, which I found strange considering he was a year older than me but wasn't left in charge. I had a massive crush on that scrawny Eminem wannabe up until a few years prior when he'd started running with some questionable people, even for him. I didn't want to believe my mom, but as I've gotten older and wiser, it's almost impossible that it wasn't him. Our dogs at the time would go berserk when someone entered our house that wasn't familiar. Sasha, our lab slash hound mix, had the shrillest bark that could wake a corpse, but they didn't bark, which leads me to believe it was someone we knew. In the end, my parents ended up installing an ADT system, and my late-night arrivals were put on blast for the eight months of me living there. In the 15 years since that happened, anytime it gets brought up, my mom will always say, I'm telling you it was Danny. He needed money for drugs or something. My parents are wonderful people who accept everyone and have donated their time, and now mostly money, to various nonprofits supporting human and animal rights and nonpartisan civic organizations. But... Don't break into their house and steal their work laptops. Danny. Love all that you are and do. Steph. Oh, Danny boy. (laughs) Danny boy. Truly, though, if they open the door and you see that it's your your neighbor that you know and you're like, Steph. 
<gasps> she's asleep. Yeah. You just like close the door. You're like, I guess I'll have to think of a lie if she wakes up. I'll get the fuck out of here. Yeah. It's brave that you still took those laptops, but mm-hmm. I mean, it makes Maybe sense if, in if the they're back, you just right by the door and yeah, you grab them and go. I can't imagine the stomach drop after when that second call comes into the mom front door. You're like, oh yeah, that could have been me. Woo-hoo. Whoops. Two doors. That's not me. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Where it's like, put the phone down and get the fuck out. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure as the mom, your mind immediately is like, where are they hiding? And did they go out a door or did they just, yeah. you know, like, where's mm-hmm. the bad guy hiding? You might not be alone. Ugh, so eerie. And just think you slept through it too. That's always the worst. You're like, I slept through what? <laughs> like, there's yeah. a whole person in the house, a whole other one that you didn't even know. That football game put you right out I did the the hu- and then the jello if it wasn't going to the jello shots would i would get it that's that is very something that 20 year old christy would have done gotten into very- college football because <laughs> somebody was giving me free shots if they won because it's very pavlovian that now every time the huskers win a touchdown even in your later years you're like i'm, try- I'm trying to get fucked up tonight <laughs> huskers are winning you're okay. like mm-hmm. anybody Ooh. else get some lime jello craving a little strawberry mm-hmm. maybe you're like my mouth feels so hot and sticky all of a sudden <laughs> i wish i had a jello shot you're like yeah i tricked you i trained you like dwight with his computer turning on wall <laughs> altoid altoid yeah steph you want jello shot do you want a jello <laughs> shot but thank you so much steph we appreciate it well, this last one, if you're ready for your foam bath. <laughs> no, but for real. Which this isn't. It. It's no, not. It's this not. isn't a foam bath, really. Sinisterhood will be right back. No, but it is the bone-chilling tale of the green lady sent in by Lori. So please enjoy. Happy Friday to you guys. I love your podcast and actually started listening to it at the gym when I was on the treadmill. Something about spooky stories makes me pick up the pace a little bit. (laughs) Anyway, I'm hooked now. I'm excited to dive into my Freaky Friday story. And a quick shout out to my friend Joy, who wrote about the unexplained music box, since she encouraged me to share this story. Quick note, I wrote this story in a theatrical campfire type way, but the story is 100% true, and I hope you enjoy. Gather around, my friends, and lend me your ears as I share with you a bone-chilling tale from my childhood. Picture this, a young girl, no older than a firefly's flicker, venturing into the heart of Filipino parties alongside her mother and siblings. These gatherings were a wild symphony. These gatherings were a wild symphony of overflowing food, bubbly cola, resonating karaoke, and a touch of gambling to spice up the night. But amidst the revelry, there was always one house that sent shivers crawling down my spine like a ghostly hand tracing its icy path. Now this house was a sight to behold, with its shimmering in-ground pool and a grandiose facade that caught the eye. Yet beneath its elegant surface lurked an unfinished basement, a shadowy abyss that whispered of secrets and untold horrors. It was in this dim and foreboding chamber that my twin and I found ourselves time and time again, surrounded by other kids seeking respite from the night's festivities. It was as if the basement had an unholy pull, drawing us toward its depths when we were not frolicking in the pool. Oh, how vividly I remember that dreadful room. Its foundation, a skeleton of wood, groaned beneath our innocent footsteps. Cold concrete floors sent chills up our spines, and an old couch, worn and tired, slumbered in the corner, 
its springs creaking in an eerie harmony. But the centerpiece of this macabre theater was a painting, solemn and solitary, hanging in the middle of the wall. The canvas depicted a lady, her beauty twisted by an otherworldly aura. Dark eyes like bottomless pits fixated on us, her pallid green skin reminiscent of a wicked witch conjured from the very pages of The Wizard of Oz. Yes, my friends, those haunting eyes had a life of their own, following our every move, even when our gaze dared not meet hers. Even in the presence of others, an unsettling presence lingered, a constant awareness that unseen eyes watched us, pierced through the veil of darkness, and oh, that dread that filled our hearts whenever we laid our eyes upon the ghastly green lady. Fear danced upon our tender souls, yet it was a dance we longed to partake in. In a twisted sense, the thrill of terror beckoned us, whispering secrets of excitement. Thus, like moths drawn to a forbidden flame, we would extinguish the basement's feeble light, plunging ourselves into the abyss of darkness. The air grew heavy, thick with anticipation, as we played hide-and-seek within those walls of dread. Oh, my friends, there were scarce hiding places to be found, yet our desperation drove us to seek sanctuary from the gaze of the accursed painting. And as the last rays of illumination faded, a hushed silence would fall upon us, like the graveyard stillness of a moonless night. Legend had it that the house's owners, with sinister grins upon their lips, would whisper to us innocent children that, under the cloak of the darkness, the green lady would crawl from her painted prison, her spectral form weaving through the very fabric of the basement. They claimed she would rearrange the furniture with phantom hands, a haunting reminder of her restless existence. And as sure as the moon waxes and wanes, when the lights were not but forgotten embers, we would gasp in fear, for the couch, once nestled in a corner, would be found ever so slightly moved, a macabre testament to the ghastly truth lurking within those walls. The Green Lady's legend lives on. That's what I call slipping into spooky season. We're shifting into it. We're shifting into spooky mode. We We did it. Laurie, well written. Thank you so much. I loved it. I loved reading it and I loved hearing it also. I felt like I was in that basement. Mm -hmm. Hide and seek is so creepy when you're a kid. But then if you feel like, oh, well, we can all see. But the seeker who has their hands over their eyes and counting down will all be hidden. But then there's a painting on the wall that's just like, I see where you are. (laughs) And I'm going to move this couch. So when you're walking around in the dark, you're going to stub your toe. Like hiding behind the couch in the green. (laughs) He's like, over here. <laughs> Move the couch. You're like, God damn it. This was a good hiding spot. You can't play this game, oh, Green Lady. Right. She's, like, <laughs> She's like, ooh. It's my house. I'll play if I want to. <laughs> like, damn it, Green Lady. She ruins it for everyone. That's so eerie, though. And I, that was such a picture of a Filipino party. My best friend in high school, her family's from the Philippines, and I would frequently get invited to their family gatherings, and it was always this b- beautiful spread of food with ponset. With, she was always like, don't eat the chocolate meat because it's like boiled in some type of blood, but it's very savory. People love that, but I love ponset. And the karaoke was, in her family, very intense. It was like, <laughs> that, that was the Don't come unless you're ready to sing, and sing for real. Whatever program they had rated your performance on your oh, karaoke. Oh, no. So then someone sang Unchained Melody and got like an 8.5. And I was like, oh, damn, that's a hard song, 8.5. And then a couple songs later, I heard the opening line to Unchained Melody. I was like, I've already heard that. And my friend was like, oh, my 
aunt is actually going to try to get a better score than my mom <laughs> did. And I was like, no way. So then you just had to hear like, oh, my love. And I was like, well, I heard over this song six times tonight. Because <laughs> you get an 8.7. Someone's like, I could get a 9. I and you're like, well, this song is 9.1. It was very competitive. But, Did you uh, get up there and sing a 10? No, no. We were like, you know, we were like 15, 16. So yeah. we were like kind of go. We went down and got our food and went to go upstairs and be teenagers and stuff. But we would hang out for a while. And it was uh, that was the church I attended was the one that her family attended. So it was like all the all my extended church family was there, too. And I could, I was like, they're cutting a rug down there seeing Marvin Gaye. And <laughs> I loved it, though. It was a party. But that's awesome. Down into the basement with the green lady is like, oh, that's the perfect like that line between a raucous loud party upstairs and this weird desolate basement mm-hmm. with this creepy portrait. So that's a very good se- scene for a spooky, like I could imagine this being, you know, like a goosebumps or something yeah. where it's like all the kids know about the painting and everything. And, and like the eyes follow mm-hmm. you or something. I like it. And mm-hmm. you're all, you're, you're scared of it, but it's also like exciting and fun and thrilling. So you got to go to the basement. Just like she said, it lures you down there. Oh yeah. We all, that's a kid thing, man. You always want to go back for that thrill, mm-hmm. that gut tickle, like, Ooh, not just happen? a kid thing. I, I think, think that's no. what keeps people turning into our podcast. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> Hopefully. Keep tickling, keep tickling those tummies. <laughs> keep tickling the tummies. Or haunted houses or scary movies, mm-hmm. any of that. People love to be scared. So thank you to all of you for contributing to your spooky, scary stories to help keep us on the air. You know? Honestly, yeah. Thank you so much for letting us share these. I love... I love the breadth of stories that we get. So thank you to mm-hmm. everybody, uh, not just today, who's ever sent a story in. I just really appreciate it. Absolutely. Me too. They're always, uh, it's one of my favorite things to do each week is to sit down and like read the stories and right. have my whole process. And it's, uh, it's very enjoyable. So thank you. Without all of you, I wouldn't have that. So Ooh, it's literally it. all of you doing. So thank you so much. Thank you to everybody that's sending your stories today. And if you have an odd but true story, maybe you've encountered Bigfoot, you've seen a UFO, you had a brush with true crime, or you felt the presence of an otherworldly being, send them in at sinisterhood.com slash Freaky Friday. If you like our free episodes, you're going to love our Patreon bonus content. We got all sorts of stuff going on over there. You can join for free to see where we're up to next. We send out notices, posts, sometimes even uh, some content. You can also join to view here, whatever else way you want to enjoy it. Over 500 hours of bonus content. We put yeah. up two mini-sodes recently. We've got a new bonus content coming this week, which I'm pretty <laughs> excited about, which was a suggestion in our Patreon Facebook group. That yes. Now we're like, yeah, that does sound fun. We're going to do that. That's the magic of Patreon is that you guys will just be like, hey, would you do that? Like, hey, we wrote this chat GPT rap song. We're like, yeah, we'll sing it. What's up? Let's do it. <laughs> That sounds fun. So yeah, we had an idea for a new Boco segment. And another one, we said, hey, send us in stories for a bonus content segment. And y'all have sent them in. So we've got we got some new stuff popping at Patreon. But if you sign up for free, you just get an alert that there's something out there. And then if you're interested, then you can sign up and get into the whole archive. You can also gift it to somebody for the holidays. It's a good, easy, fast gift if yep. you want to give someone that has no shipping time. You get an annual subscription, you get a free month. So Damn. girl math, you're basically <laughs> saving money. Yeah, the first month is actually free. It's like yeah. a 30 yeah, yeah, yeah. trial. You just have to pay for that. It's actually months. less because you paid for it that way. See, and then future use like, oh, I didn't even spend this money. Thanks, Mm-mm. past me. That's how I do it, at least <laughs> yep, in my me life. Too. Very much. 
Well, you can head to SinisterHood.com and click shop on the top banner to check out some Sinisterhood merch. We have t-shirts, mugs, totes, stickers, and even clothes for your kiddos. Someone asked us if we had a water bottle. We have a metal one, but now we also have a plastic one in case you like a camelback mouth sucking type of plastic one. We've got sweatshirts, pullover crew necks. We got hoodies with zippers, hoodies without zippers, and we're working on getting some new stuff. So make sure you head to SinisterHood.com, click shop on the top banner and check out what we got going on. While you're there, you can also review the show, follow us on socials, and check out the episode descriptions for more fun, like topic-based playlists. And if we have links to live show tickets, we put them there. Heather has a journaling workshop for a wonderful nonprofit organization in Dallas this Saturday, and information is there, too. Yep. On Saturday, September 9th, head to the Dallas Public Library for a Fearless Dallas Summit. I will put the details on SinisterHood.com slash live shows. And uh, yeah, you can get your ticket. It's free to register. And I'm doing a little journaling workshop. I'm actually just excited to hear the other workshops too, though. I'm going to sneak into those. (laughs) Nice. You can also follow. Oh, that's you. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod. Like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. We're on YouTube and TikTok at Sinisterhood Podcast. You can also order a custom video shout out from Cameo. If you go to Cameo.com and search Sinisterhood, we can deliver a message for you to whomever you want. It can be to yourself, to somebody you love, somebody needs a pep talk, a happy birthday, a ruling from Judge Christie. We're willing to entertain uh, anything in that suggestion box most likely we'll do it. Don't put anything <laughs> filthy in there. Come on now. But you know how we are. <laughs> but we've had requests for McGruff or for Pedal or whatever. Just let us know in the the suggestion box on Cameo.com and search Sinisterhood to order your personalized video shout out. Christy, where are you at? I'm on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace and TikTok at Christy or GTFO. Heather? I am pretty much everywhere at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Keep it creepy.